Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Pensions Expert podcast. My name is Nick Reeve and I'm a journalist with Rotic Media and your host for this episode. Over the past year, there's been a huge amount of new regulations and guidance aimed at pension schemes on the subject of ESG and climate change in particular. Most notably, uh, the Department for Work and Pensions wants large pension funds to report annually on how their investment portfolios are performing in line with the climate change reporting guidelines recommended by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. Joining me to discuss the implications of these changes and how schemes are already responding are Joanne Seegers, Chair of the Board of Directors of LGPS Central and also Chair of Now Pensions. And alongside her is Will Martindale, Group Head of Sustainability at Cardano. Thank you both for joining us. So the first question I'm going to put to you, Will. Uh, We've been hearing uh, a great deal about the TCFD and the UK government's desire for pension funds to be aligned with its reporting recommendations. Now, my understanding, there's a lot of moving parts to this, potentially involving scenario analysis, new metrics coming in, target setting. Can you summarise the requirements for pension fund trustees as they stand? I can. And I think actually before I get to that, it's sometimes useful when thinking about TCFD to go back to its origins and its purpose. So if it's OK with you, I'm going to start with that. The, the, the TCFD was established by the Financial Stability Board way back in 2015 and was really the coming together of two personalities, Mark Carney and Michael Bloomberg, and a number of market participants who were getting frustrated with the lack of comparability of climate disclosures across the financial sector. And so they wanted to bring together these professionals in order to create a framework that helped improve the comparability across time series, across geography, and throughout the intermediation chain, such that climate disclosures could become decision useful. So that pension funds, such as the pension funds that, that Joanna is responsible for, are able to use those disclosures in order to understand where they're exposed to risks, where they're exposed to environmental opportunities and to be able to direct capital in a way uh, that is consistent with their climate change objectives and beliefs. So that's the origins and the purpose. And I think that we would say they're very well founded. It's a very important piece of work that's been done there. Since the task force started in 2015, it published its first framework in, in 2017. Since then, what we've seen is a number of regulators, such as here in the UK, the Department for Work and Pensions, really embrace this framework and start to introduce this framework into pensions law. The UK is not the only example, but it, it is uh, one of the first uh, examples where we started to see this properly embedded in, into regulation. I think just a moment on why we think regulation is a good thing. Regulation has helped to clarify terminology, it's helped to raise minimum standards, and it's really helped to make sure that climate change is firmly embedded on trustees' agenda. I think a number of pension funds were already doing this, but the regulation has really helped expedite those conversations. And I think given the urgency of climate change, this is something that's very welcome. Now, just to close, just a moment on the TCFD. The TCFD really is a set of recommendations across four themes. Sometimes I think TCFD can get very complex very quickly. It's important to sort of go back to basics and realise it is just a set of recommendations across four themes. Those four themes are governance, strategy, risk management, and then metrics. 
Essentially, what it's trying to say across those four themes is that a pension fund like the ones that Joanne's responsible for need to make sure that they've got proper oversight and scrutiny of climate change across the trustee group, that they're really incorporating climate change into how they understand and prosecute their investment strategy, that they understand the financial risks and uh, indeed financial opportunities of climate change that they have clarity on the metrics that they're using and that they're starting to set targets that help them to understand and approach the decarbonisation. So maybe I'll stop there, Nick, if that's okay. Hopefully that's an overview of uh, what the TCFD is and and the fact that it's now starting to be embedded into UK regulation. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to turn to Joanne now with your uh, Now Pensions hat on and just for your kind of take on um, on, on Will's uh, explanation there and how now perhaps it starts to take ESG and climate change reporting so far. What has it done on that um, on that side? Well, again, maybe I can sort of just take a step back um, because one of the key activities for our trustee board over the last uh, sort of 12, 18 months has been a real sort of root and branch review of our strategic investment approach. And we've undertaken a big strategic investment review. And part of that review really went back to, to basics and was really about articulating what our trustee investment beliefs were across a whole range of issues, but including ESG and responsible investments and, you know, the sort of shortcut version of our uh, trustee investment belief on our responsible investment is that, guess what, it matters in the long long run and the risks associated with ESG factors need to be measured and managed. I mean, that's a sort of pricey of what we're saying. And by, you know, working with our investment consultants, working with our investment manager, Cardano, we've arrived at a new investment strategy for the scheme, really built around the needs of our members and the long-term interests and needs of our members. But at the heart of that is a really big focus on ESG. And it's one of the things I'm really, really proud of as we've, I sort of look back over my period so far of being a chair of the trustee board. And we've got a very clear commitment to ESG in our new investment strategy, which is, you know, I think kind of quite ambitious. So that by the end of this year, by the end of 2021, 50% of the net asset value of the portfolio will be in ESG assets. So again, I think that's kind of quite ambitious and quite pacey. Um, And with the commitment that we see many pension funds now having to net zero by 2050 in line with the Paris Agreement. So that's taking ESG as a whole. But if I think about what we're doing on TCFD specifically, um, you know, again, this is an issue that we're taking very, very seriously as a trustee. But for all the reasons Will has said, it's absolutely important that we really think about this and we really get this right for the long term. Um, And we make this something which is, you know, isn't just a sort of box ticking exercise. I know we're going to talk about that, I suspect. So, you know, for us, this started with um, some training from from Will, his colleagues, really explaining what TCFD is about, because, you know, it is new and it is kind of quite complex and it introduces new, new issues and new um, areas to trustees. And so, you know, from my perspective, it's important that we don't just run into, rush into this, but we do this in a very measured and fully informed way. So what we've done following that training is to develop a delivery plan to ensure that we can put our framework in place by this October and that we're clear about what's going to be measured and who's doing it and how we're going to go about that. And at the heart of that is really about the governance of that from a trustee perspective, you know, how are we going to measure that? How are we going to govern that? Making sure that, you know, we've got clear accountabilities 
we've got an investment subcommittee as a trustee board, and that's going to be doing the heavy lifting. I hope it doesn't come as a shock to uh, my investment committee colleagues who are listening to this podcast. Um, I say also as a member of the investment committee. So they're going to be doing the heavy lifting, reporting up to the board. And I think that's really important. So the board as a whole has got ownership of this and the board as a whole can be seen to be and is leading the way on ESG issues for uh, now pensions. You know, and I think that really underlines the importance of this subject, uh, ESG and TCFD and the clear reporting of those issues to us as a trustee board. I wanted to, uh, we may switch switch your hats, uh, Joanne, and ask about um, your role at LGPS Central. Now, the, these uh, TCFD rules haven't yet been officially applied to the LGPS, but this is fully expected to happen. So I'm interested to know from, from that perspective, it's obviously a different kind of entity, a different kind of entity, but what actions has LGPS Central taken to prepare for uh, TCFD-aligned reporting? And how does that reflect the actions of the, the client funds? So LGPS Central is clearly the asset manager, regulated asset manager for the eight partner funds across LGPS Central. So as the asset manager, we've actually published our first TCFD report. We did that earlier this year, and that's on on our website. And again, I'm really pleased. I think it's a really high quality piece of work. Um, so really pleased with the, the work that uh, the team at Central put into that. And our partner funds, our eight partner funds, are in the process of also putting in place their TCFD statements. Some of them have already done that. So what we're doing at Central is to really help our partner funds with that carbon analysis. And that really saves them from having to go out to a carbon consultant or get their own data or get their own data tool. And I think, you know, for me, that's really one of the benefits of LGPS pooling, the fact that we can do that on behalf of our client uh, partner funds. And, you know, that's one way of saving them uh, money, but also ensuring that we can use our expertise to really help them. Now, you know, quite clearly, our partner funds own their TCFD report and they own their climate strategy that comes uh, results from it. And that's, you know, key in sort of setting up the structure that we have and setting up our climate uh, reporting metrics and support to our partner funds. But I think what's also really important is that we're integrating the results from the analysis that we see into our voting and engagements where we hold those uh, company stocks. So that, again, to Will's point, this isn't just reporting for reporting's sake, it's actually reporting with a purpose and that we can take that back into, you know, how we engage uh, with the companies whose whose stocks we own. And, you know, where we as LGPS Central don't own the stocks, but the partner funds legacy investment managers do, again, we're sort of taking that into their stocks their holdings as part of our climate risk monitoring service so as i say it's not this isn't just about producing a report that's going to sit on the shelf this is a report that has to have meaning and has to have application and i think that's a really important thing for people to understand and will how does this chime with your experience with clients in maybe the private sector for example it chimes very neatly we're seeing pension funds really embrace the spirit of tcfd not just the letter Trustees are really trying to get their heads around the use of scenarios, what the scenarios are telling them, how to calculate carbon metrics, the different types of approach to calculating those carbon metrics, really understanding how to uh, set targets and how to monitor those targets and really make sure that 
the completion of the report is not just because the regulators asked us to do so, but because as pension funds, we really want to make sure that we understand the risks and indeed the opportunities that the climate crisis uh, poses uh, due to the financial uh, assets that we're responsible for. Maybe just a couple of points to, to close on, on this question. Nick. I, I think that it's important that the, the trustees are aware that there are a lot of materials available and, and, and most of them are really very good that will really help trustees understand what's required and re really get to grips with what TCFD means. And equally, there is a real sense of collaboration around this. There are a number of groups that Cardano is participating in, such as the Institutional Investors Group on Climate Change or the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment, groups that are helping pension funds and investors like ourselves to develop methodologies and, and, and really make sure that these reports uh, are meaningful. We're going to move on to the data question next. There's a lot of these new disclosure requirements going to involve information that trustee boards may not have come across uh, before, uh, types of data that perhaps are, are still being developed, metrics are still being developed, and are maybe less comparable than the kinds of data that uh, trustees are used to dealing with. So I'm interested in what advice you both have for trustee boards that are preparing for these changes in terms of what to expect from the data and, and hand, how to handle that information. Joanne, do you want to go first on this? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, this is, if you like, an emerging science and the data are emerging and, you know, it's stronger in some areas than others. But I think it does come back to that point I raised at the very beginning, which is building understanding and doing that, uh, you know, not just at the start of this, but on an ongoing basis. Because, you know, I think that way and by having the sort of early conversations that we're having with our investment consultants, with our investment manager, we can understand the data you know i think the regulations are clear about what the trustees role is on that you know we need to understand the data we don't need to be able to produce the data ourselves so we can understand the data and also understand how we are going to use that um which i think is you know the, the key thing here because you know we could produce a report that's just got a whole bunch of data in it but that may not be very useful either to us as a trustee board in terms of interrogating that and then using that through our investment manager, through the sorts of groups and, and collaborations that, that Will's been talking about. So, you know, as I say, for me, this comes back to really how we build our understanding of this and also then how collaboratively we can identify gaps in that data and weaknesses in the data. And again, collaboratively across the industry, across groups, work to improve the quality of that data and the meaning of that data. Um, Will, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, so it's, it's a comment in agreement with Joanne. It's true that the data is incomplete, that the data can often involve assumptions and that some asset classes are more developed uh, than others. The key message here from Gidano is that this shouldn't stop you. TCFD is a really important first step in understanding both the, the climate risk and also our ability to direct capital to meet our environmental goals. And without question, the data quality is improving every single day and it's going to improve further still. We are pleased that the regulator has taken an approach that's quite flexible, that it supports an iterative process such that as the data quality improves, we can uh, ensure that our TCFD reports are improving. And, and I think it is 
helpful when preparing a, a TCFD report to make sure that the data is useful for you. So, for example, separating by asset class, understanding the climate risks uh, associated with your equities investments and then your corporate bond investments and your sovereign bond investments and other types of invest investments and, and, and so forth. So that you can start to see where there are climate risks and opportunities in your portfolio. Again, just to close, I can just talk for a moment on scenario analysis, which is probably the most complex part of the TCFD report. Scenarios are, are a tool that we often use in finance where we have a number of variables that we just can't control for. Will Congress in the US change uh, year after next? Will China fulfill its commitments to slow down and then stop uh, the rollout of coal power stations and so forth? These are things that we just can't control for, which is why it's right and appropriate to run different scenarios. The scenarios tell us a financial risk based on a degree of warming. So essentially, we say if the world warms to 1.5 degrees or if the world warms to two degrees or if the world warms even to three degrees, which is unfortunately what we're on track for at the moment, then what is the financial risk to our portfolio? And actually, by undertaking that exercise, it can be quite useful in then informing our strategy and, and our governance, which is really you know, what TCFD is, is trying to get to. So, yes, the data is incomplete, but that shouldn't stop you from starting. Now, it can be easy to look at these regulatory requirements we've been discussing as uh, as a burden. And in fact, you know, climate change can seem like quite a, you know, a gloomy uh, story uh, sometimes. But what you've already mentioned, kind of identifying opportunities through this as well and allocating capital in a, in a positive way. So I'd like to explore a bit about what the opportunities are involved in TCFD aligned reporting um, and whether that's uh, through, through governance, through investment opportunities or, or risk management. Will, did you want to take that one first? Yes. So we think that TCFD is a opportunity for pension funds to really set a strategy that helps them understand the financial risks involved in climate change, but also to help make sure that pension funds are part of the solutions to climate change. And actually, that's a, a very positive thing that we are facing this crisis. This crisis is probably the most fundamental challenge that the global economy is going to grapple with over the next 10 or 15 years, but that we are now starting to develop a plan to address that. That despite the fact that we've got these highest carbon emissions ever in human history, that we've got these increased weather events that pass the world are becoming uninsurable, that we are starting to look at ways that we can uh, work our, our way out of this crisis. I think that that can be a positive message too, that we are starting to see policymakers get to grips with this. They are starting to set clearer policy frameworks that help investors uh, such as ourselves. We are starting to see that the new technologies, that renewable energy and so forth, is becoming less expensive than fossil fuels and that many of the companies that we are investing in really are starting to set ambitious and meaningful decarbonisation plans that are consistent with the science. So big, big hills to climb ahead of us. Uh, certainly some big problems, certainly not the speed that we need to go at, but it's, it's directionally correct. We're starting to see action in the right direction. And Joanne, both your boards have been doing a lot of work on this. So what uh, kind of opportunities, what are the positive uh, takes that you've you've seen from these processes? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there undoubtedly are positives in this. And, you know, as, as Will said, you know, there's an absolute alignment here. We are the ultimate long term investors. You know, we're investing money for people who uh, aren't going to retire for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. So 
there's an absolute alignment of interests here in terms of tackling this you know existential issue this this long term issue that we need to get right to make sure that you know we can manage that for our members and our beneficiaries and our clients. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a great believer in what gets measured gets done. And I think by measuring this, it gives us a real opportunity to actually affect change. Doing so within, you know, the fiduciary responsibilities that we have, doing so with the focus on getting return for our members. But again, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that, there, you know, we can manage that and make sure that we can get a good return for our members and you know we can see the effect and the benefits of that what gets measured gets done and that the benefits of reporting if we look elsewhere across the corporate governance agenda you know I've been in the the pensions game for possibly longer than both of you um, and can remember don't laugh when I was looking at this you know decades ago in terms of composition of boards uh, reporting on gender pay gap you know reporting on women on boards all of those things and people were very suspicious of it and very sort of wary of it. But actually, by reporting on this, and by lifting up the stone, we're able to actually see what's going on under it. And actually, we've seen some really positive changes. So I think, you know, first of all, there is something about the transparency that we will see from this reporting. I think it does help, to your point, from a governance perspective, which is what I'm concerned about, both as chair of the board at LGPS Central, but also chair of trustees, you know, it does help with governance. And I think it should help increase the supply of assets, the supply of the right sorts of assets, because it's all very well, you know, to say we're going to be net zero. But we need to think really, really carefully about what being net zero means. And it isn't just, you know, carbon dumping or whatever. It's got to be about making sure there's a right supply of assets. And again, you know, thinking about debates I've had elsewhere across the piece on things like infrastructure, you know, it's not just about investing in infrastructure, it's about investing in the right sorts of infrastructure. So, you know, if as part of this, we can see a greater supply of renewables at affordable rates, then, you know, that will be a big benefit that comes out of this. But as I said earlier, this can't just be reporting for reporting's sake. And I think, you know, the conversation we've just had means, you know, this has got to be Will's phrase, which will be my phrase of the week, decision useful reporting, is absolutely right. And if we can use this to affect that sort of change, if we can use it to affect, you know, how companies report, what the supply of assets is, and to actually, you know, make a difference, then I think, you know, this is a really big and important step forward. Absolutely. I think net zero might be a subject for another podcast uh, entirely. There's enough to uh, talk about there. Will, I want to come back to you just for some final thoughts on uh, you know, the, the implications for uh, TCFD on, on trustee boards, your, your final thoughts on this. Yeah, so re- really two messages. The first is TCFD is absolutely the right starting point. It's a credibly useful framework and as, as pension funds and as trustees, we, we should embrace it. And the second is that if there are trustees or pension professionals listening to this podcast that are new to TCFD, or have found some of the terminology and concepts that we've been speaking about a little bit confusing, then there are numerous publicly available resources uh, that will be able to help you really understand what TCFD is and and, and how it will apply to your pension plan. If you need any help identifying those, then get in touch and we'll signpost to make sure that you've got the support and guidance that you need. Great. Well, thank you both uh, very much. Now, regular listeners to uh, Pensions Expert podcast will know that there is always a pensions angle to the news. And this week is no different. 
Now, while the final of football's Euro 2020 Championship may have ended in heartbreak for the England men's team uh, by the narrowest of narrow margins, I've spotted that there is a small victory the English can claim over Italy when it comes to pensions. There was an article in Forbes published in February, uh, which uh, explained that Italy's uh, female footballers have been campaigning for professional status and could be about to get it, which would be great because uh, it would come with better protections and also, importantly, pensions entitlements. Uh, In England, the Women's Super League is already fully professional, has been for a while. And as far as I can tell, professionals, players get access to the professional footballers pension scheme or at least to their club's auto-enrolment offering. So I'm going to make that 1-0 to England on uh, footballers pensions. All a bit lighthearted, but I know, Will, you were interested in this because it did kind of raise an actual uh, serious uh, issue. So I'm going to open the floor to you. What a comment and what a question to close. I mean, the result obviously still hurts and, and indeed the aftermath and the racism that followed hurts far more. What an inspirational group of young men we've been watching over the past few weeks on and off the field. I think the comment that you've made is is a good one. And I think this is certainly positive, but we, we really can't pretend that we have gender equality in sport and certainly not in football. The decision making is dominated by men. That includes salaries across the professional football uh, sector. And unfortunately, there are things that are similar to the pensions world. We published some research in 2019. It's called Underpensioned. And if you're unfamiliar with it, would really recommend uh, you take a look. It's excellent research. But it found that uh, women reach retirement age with, on average, uh, over £100,000 less in their private pension wealth compared to men. And so if we want to really tackle the, the consequences of gender inequality, then we really need to to tackle the causes. So you talked about this narrowest of narrow margins. Indeed, England did lose on penalties. But my link with penalties is that if we want to get serious on gender equality, then we probably need to start to introduce penalties, penalties for companies, penalties for investors that are not taking seriously uh, the challenge that we face here with gender equality to make sure that the generations that follow uh, are the the women that are in full time work are retiring with exactly the same pension benefits as their male counterparts. Joanne, did you want to add anything to that? No, only to agree with that. And it does feel I'm going to really stretch this footballing analogy if that's, that's okay. You know, again, partly reflecting just how long I've been at this pensions game. You know, it feels to me like we're well and truly into extra time um, in terms of dealing with this issue of the gender pensions gap, because, you know, we've been dealing with this for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, the final whistle's got a blow on this. I told you I'm going to stretch this footballing analogy to uh, its limits. And we do have to tackle this once and for all, because, you know, we are condemning millions of women up and down this country to pension and poverty if we don't. And at that point, I'm going to blow the full time whistle on this podcast. Thank you to Joanne and Will for joining us. And thank you all for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.